0: Amen Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 14 This is Jesus midway through his ministry And it's a familiar story Sometimes I think we forget about the context of this story, though, what's happened right before. You see, Jesus has just received the news that John the Baptist is dead. He's been beheaded in prison by order of King Herod. For Jesus, John's death must have been a horrific reminder of his own vulnerability vis-a-vis the powers of his day. And it also must have been a source of great grief for him. So this is a bad day for Jesus. Let's catch up with him. Hear the word of God. Now when Jesus heard this, that is that John had died, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself, But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The word of the Lord. So recently, my husband and I took our son on a vacation to Mexico City. We had a wonderful time sightseeing around town, visiting family who lived there, and eating lots of delicious food, and not just tacos, though we ate many what I loved most and came to look forward to were the pastries. Freshly baked in great variety, pastries were on offer at every cafe, and there was a cafe on every corner. Conchas, croissants, danishes, these little corn muffins that everybody says you have to try. Well, we tried them, (laughs) and each one was better than the last. On our final morning with only a few hours left, we revisited one of our favorite cafes. And the moment we sat down, a waiter in a crisp white uniform approached our table to offer us a fruit parfait. Sure, we said, and he put it on the table between us. But then before we could even open our menus, a waitress came over and she too had a tray piled high with what we really wanted pastries, and about a dozen varieties. Which would you like? We perused the array, asking about the flavors, making our choices. But of course, it wasn't simply a question of what we wanted. There was the question of cost. That parfait might have been free, but Surely these delights would go on our tab. If you want something, you're going to have to buy it. This commercial mindset is deeply embedded in our culture and in cultures throughout history. You can hear it in the scripture we just read. Jesus is healing people, his broken heart pouring out love, his disciples approach, anxious that they don't have dinner plans. They're in the middle of nowhere, it's getting dark, and they can't feed all these people. But they have a solution. Let the crowd disperse, go into the villages, and buy food. They have money, presumably, and if they don't, what can you do? It's on them. Everyone knows it's this for that. Everyone knows it's give to get. It's fair. It's orderly. It's a good plan. But Jesus says, no. No. Nobody's buying anything. Why don't you give them something? Giving. Giving is complicated we're a little scared of giving we like to relegate giving to occasions christmas birthdays weddings graduations retirements the end of the tax year outside of such occasions gifts are suspect if we were to give randomly or at every turn we might exceed our means We might not have enough for ourselves. Giving makes us vulnerable materially and emotionally. A gift reveals our feelings for another, feelings that might not be returned. A gift can easily be rejected. And to be honest, we don't always like receiving gifts. I know that sounds strange to say, but but think about it. We hesitate to ask for favors, and and we're amazed. We're even embarrassed when people take it upon themselves to help us. When my family got back from Mexico, a stranger ran up to us at the airport to help us lift our 50-pound suitcase into the car. It was so kind, and it was kind of mortifying. When we find ourselves unexpectedly on the receiving end of a gift— we protest. It's too much. Really, you shouldn't have. I think most of us are more comfortable with buying and selling than we are with giving or receiving. Transactions are neat and predictable. Giving is so loose. It's chaotic. I hope you've had a chance to look at the front cover of your bulletin, I invite you to do so now. This is a painting by the 19th century German artist Ferdinand Georg Waldmuller, and it's simply titled Soup Kitchen. You can see that a crowd has come to church to get a free meal, and they shovel food into their mouths. You see children maybe crying out for more. Far in the background stands a priest, ostensibly there to preside over the distribution of meals, but he's nearly lost in the crowd. Even further back, above it all, Christ hangs crucified. This messy ministry, this free-for-all, Christ is behind it. Centuries before, in a deserted place, Jesus was doing the same thing. You give them something to eat. And with God, it was possible to do that. On that day, amid the grief and the fear of that day, meager rations became a feast. It was simply a matter of giving. Jesus gave thanks as he broke the bread, and then he gave it to his disciples, who gave it to everyone else for free. Nobody earned it, nobody paid. God gave it. It was grace, ordinary, pure, and simple. Grace is what God does. God is all about the free giveaway. We know it, even if we can't always believe it or live as if it's true by giving and receiving grace ourselves. We practice grace in little ways. The poet Denutia Lamaris expresses this well in her poem, Small Kindnesses. This is what she writes. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by. Or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes a leftover from the bubonic plague. Don't die, we are saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder, and for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. I like your hat. that's nice, isn't it? Small kindnesses, they make the world a better place, and we are surely called to give grace in this way. But we can't stop at small kindnesses, because Jesus didn't stop at small miracles. It would have been miracle enough if Jesus had fed 50 people, with five loaves and two fish. That still would have made it into the book, y'all. But Jesus fed a multitude, 5,000 plus, more, once you count the women and children, and of course you should, Matthew. (laughs) But in all seriousness... Christ calls us to something big. Christ calls us to risk the messiness of giving more and not to stop until the goodness of life is free for all, available as air. With God, it's still possible. I mean, I think it is. I know there's cause to doubt. The world's problems seem insurmountable sometimes. It's been hard for me to read the news this summer. Record temperatures, boiling oceans, raging floods, burning forests. It would seem that the world is becoming less livable. And that's just on the climate front. Around the world, nearly one billion people will go hungry today. Even in our own country, there's a sharp gap between rich and poor, and it continues to grow. We have a problem, and we know it. According to the Pew Research Center, most Americans see and agree that economic inequality is too great, and still fewer than half say it's a top priority for our society to address. It's like we want a world. We want a world where all people can thrive, but helplessness, fear, and despair overpower us until we're only focused on ourselves. It's as if the disciples had made a dozen fish sandwiches, passed them around, and called it a day. What will it take for us to see that we have and are enough to do Christ's work? What will it take for us to see that if we step out in faith, we will be equipped? It's a statistical fact that we have enough food in the world right now. This has been true for several years. There are roughly 8 billion people on earth and global agriculture produces food for 10 billion There is enough raw material, but it's the systems that are broken. According to the UN Committee on World Food Security, the problem is our food systems, the way we produce, harvest, transport, process, market, and consume food. It's a tall order to change such systems, but I can't help but think that among us, there are so many gifts, so much wealth, so many skills, so much curiosity and expertise. Here are the loaves, and here are the fish, more than a few. And here where we are gathered is Jesus, ever present, still powerful. There is hope as long as we don't give it up. The world God made is full of potential. It still is after so much damage amid continuing strife. And we as God's image bearers and Christ's church, we share in that potential. As the author Rob Bell once wrote, it is when the church gives itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return, that the way of Jesus is most vividly put on display. What are we doing if we're not doing that? What is ours to do except to give all we have for love? I don't know if my words will change anything for you. I don't know if they've changed anything for me. Like many of you, I've known this Bible story my whole life. I've pondered its meaning for years, and I honestly wonder if it can shape me more than it already has. If it has. But I hope it can. I hope that an hour from now, or this afternoon, or tonight, or tomorrow, whenever the next opportunity to give presents itself, when I find myself holding the loaves or the fish, when I'm in possession of something that will nourish, something that will comfort, something that might sustain, something that will refresh another's hope, whether it's a material thing or a spiritual word, how I hope, how I pray that I will go on and give it. Unafraid, unashamed, expecting nothing in return but trusting in the God of grace, the God of the free giveaway. And then I hope that I will go beyond small kindnesses and that I will aim for new and bigger ones, speak for them, vote for them, work for them, live for them until abundant life is free for all. May it be so in my life, in yours, in the church God calls, and in the world God loves. Amen.